You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, and welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast, a brand new Go Wild show sponsored by GunBroker.com. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History. We want to bring you along on an awesome ride through all sorts of firearms history, old and new. We're going to be exposing things you didn't know, uh, giving you a little bit of trivia here and there, talking about uh, some topics that uh, are hopefully going to be interesting to everyone. We'll focus in on some special things that are selling on GunBroker, um, things that you can go look for on GunBroker.com. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. We appreciate having you here for the ride. And the first episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the transition between civilian and military firearms and how they join together and co-mingle and how they go back and forth and how we've gotten civilian guns first that transition to the military and military guns that transition to the civilian market. So really exciting show. Uh, we're glad to have everybody here. We got the Go Wild crew with us. We've got Alan from GunBroker.com. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. Thanks for having us, man. Gonna have fun. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're talking about the history with Milserp and how things transition between civilian uh, and military platforms, you know, of course, there's a, a long history of that going all the way back to wheel guns and everything. But we're still seeing it today, um, particularly with SIG and, and the new handgun and long gun things that have come uh, into, uh, into the realm with the United States Army. And so we've got some awesome products here. You've got, uh, we've got the, the spear with us here, and we've got an M17. Um, there's, there's some neat history going on between those guns. So talk to us first a, a little bit about the spear. Sure. Um, well, you know, the spear is definitely the new hotness. Um, if we look at the listings on GunBroker, uh, those are right at the top of the price list. You know, they're pulling in seven, eight grand a rifle at auction. So not a ton of inventory. When they do come, we've got a ton of bidders on them. So they're they're always going hot and fast. Uh, we've got today, unfortunately, not a spear. I uh, wish I had one. Uh, this is actually one of the very first gen MCXs, the civilian model they made that eventually started down the evolutionary path to become the, the spear. Um, this one's kind of cool. Uh, it is one of their first gens they made out. 
this still has their original self-regulating gas valve. So when they first designed the MCX platform, the idea was um, you could run it in 5.56 where the barrel swap go to 300 blackout, but they didn't want to have to mess with the gas settings, you know, between going super and subsonic on the 300. So it was self-regulating. The problem is um, it's a really complex system, probably not easy or inexpensive to manufacture. So um, for the civilian market, the, the MCX went to kind of a more traditional two-position gas valve. But a small number of these did get out in the market. Um, they were sold as a two-barrel kit. So you had a 5.56 barrel and a 300 blackout barrel with the self-regulator. Um, SIG did do a upgrade plan a few years later to uh, basically convert all of these to kind of their standard two position. Um, yeah, I never sent this one back in. I'm, I'm being a bad boy about it. Um, so this is the original, still got the gas position system on it, and they're a great rifle to shoot. You know, they've kept the best parts of the AIR platform and the ergonomics, but uh, took out the direct impingement gas system so you don't get all that carbon and crud in your, in your chamber. Um, kind of an evolution of the gas push rod system that you'd see in you know, the, the Leitner-Wise guns uh, that eventually came, some of the, the SIG 516, 716 platforms. But um, this was kind of where everything started and evolved out from here. Um, the next gen was their Virtus model. Mm-hmm. You know, Virtus, we see we see a number of those on GunBroker, the platform, quite a bit. Uh, I took a look this morning. we got about 200 listings right now. 200? Yeah, 200 available. That's awesome. Uh, and that goes against their across all their variants, you know, the, the rifles, the short rifles, uh, the pistols. Um, but a good number for as modern of a gun as that is. Um, you know, pricing's not too insane. Uh, if you look at the NFA ones, the short barrels, um, you know, they're right around the five thousand dollar mark. Otherwise, probably closer to the two grand mark. But they're they're obtainable. It's it's the spear, which of course is the big brother, the seven six two, the 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 base for the battle rifle. Um, that's the hot one. Those are those are drawn the premiums. Um, you know, ten grand, eight to ten grand for the seven six two. If you can find the two seventy seven Furies on there, there's a few listings here and there. They go ten to seventeen thousand. Wow. Um, where they're finding the ammo for it, I have no idea. But <laughs> that's not the point. The yeah, point is not. they have the gun, right? So you that's know? so that's kind of why this gun was developed was for that round. Yeah, that, I mean, that, this was the, I, I wouldn't call this the beta necessarily, um, but they knew they wanted to to get it out a product out that um, the civilian market would buy, consume, basically help fund, you know, the, the development down the road. And, I mean, essentially beta tested as well because, you know, we're tough on stuff and, you know, civilians break stuff a lot. And if, you know, if we can break it, the Army can figure out how to break it. So, um there were you saw a lot of evolutions because the MCX came out in 2014, 2013. Yeah, God, has it been that long already? It's it's been longer than I think. Um, I've also my sense of timing is way off on this because I I've, um, in my former career saw access to a lot of the stuff before it came out, so my timing <laughs> is all over the place. But um, you know the, the 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 groundwork was laid that this was a step in the process to eventually lead to that submission for the the military contract and. Um, yeah, the spear is, uh, it's kind of the, the pinnacle of what they can build into the MCX platform. It's sure. kind of backwards from what I thought would be the process. I would think it would be military first. They request something, manufacturer builds it to their specs. They beat it up in the field and then it makes its way to civilian. I thought it would always be that way. I didn't realize that there's some civilian market firearms that then are kind of beat up to, to make themselves to the military. You know, Logan, you probably know this better than I do, but it's, it's a little weird. It kind of ebbs and flows that way. You know, you will have some some firearms that were built to a military spec, um, but you'll have others that, you know, um, kind of hit the civilian market first. I mean, everyone thinks of the M16 and M4 platform, but mm-hmm. the DOD didn't want it at first. So no. it was sold as the Colt AR-15. And if uh, General LeMay hadn't got a couple into Kennedy's hands and they both fell in love with the little platform, we probably wouldn't have the M16 today. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, same with the Thompson back in the 20s. The military had no interest in it. It was a heavy gun and a pistol caliber. What, what on earth would we want it for? And then, you know, when they saw the, the effects law enforcement were having on it, well, next thing you know, you ended up with, you know, Thompson submachine guns in the military by World War II. Um, and you have others that kind of work in the exact opposite direction. You know, the M14 was a, a really, a, I mean, basically a government design yeah. that, that was then built out and then civilianized into the M1A. Right. And so then had a heck of a lot longer lifespan in the civilian market than it did in the military. You know, the M14 holds the record for being the shortest uh, service life yeah. for a long rifle in the United States military. And yet it's very popular civilian platform. So, so these new government contracts, correct me if I'm wrong, but the old thinking was whoever had the most bullets into battle was had the advantage. So you had 30-round magazines smaller calibers and now everyone's shifting towards we need more stopping power less bullets do you think that this is going to kind of lead the way towards i don't know maybe a 40 or 45 caliber handgun being the new military standard instead of the nine millimeter do you think everything's going to kind of size up the way that sig is kind of leading the charge there you know that's a great question and and calibers have kind of gone back and forth so much you know i mean we we end up with the 45 acp in the 1911 uh because the 38 caliber revolvers um you know in the philippines and, and against the moros weren't doing the job so you know you get to the early 20th century and now it's it's all about you know bigger and better and beefing up to the 45 caliber and, you know, and that reigns supreme for 76 years. And then you go to the Beretta M9 and we go back down to the 9mm. And so I, I really think it waffles back and forth. And uh, it, it it's a changing mentality with the military. And uh, who knows where it's going to yeah. go next, you know? I mean, just my opinion, I don't think we'll see the same changes in the handgun and especially the caliber side that we do with the rifles. There's just not the motivation for it. Um, there are fewer and fewer handguns in the military service as it is. They're just not issued. I mean, outside of some of the officer corps or vehicle-borne folks, you know, your line troops just don't get handguns typically. Hmm. Um, So the development and the impetus to make the rifles a more effective platform is certainly there where handguns, you know, there you kind of do go back into a, it's a, you know, it's a defensive weapon, really, not even an offensive weapon, a defensive weapon of last resort. So the more pills you can stack in there, because the M17's a 21-rounder, is that right? Yeah, 21 rounds, so... You know, the more pills you can stack in there, the better. Yeah. Yeah. So the MCX is something that folks can go to gunbroker.com yep. and they can pick up uh, an MCX uh, if they're lucky enough to, to either win the auction or do one of the straight sales that, that your, you guys sellers uh, offer on there. Um, but but they're, what they're not going to find is an actual uh, spear on there. Um, and that's just because that's, that's military-grade equipment, yep. um, literally. Um, so they're not going to find something like that. Gunbroker, but what they can find that is actual military equipment is a SIG M17 pistol that we've absolutely. got over here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the M17, um, number of these went out to the military, and then the military had a slight change in their requirements, so SIG essentially just took them back in, did, mm-hmm. did a trade for them, which made... Um, the numbers have kind of been all over the place, yep. so I'm hesitant to even throw one out, but a, a number of these available as surplus handguns on the market. So you've got some that, you know, have seen, you know, some deployments, some of the early the, the early guns that went out there. And, of course, this is another one of those cases where a civilian product was b- brought on board and then used to develop and build as a test bed to eventually become uh, the winner of the, the MHS, one of the, the, the most heavily sought-after contracts, I mm-hmm. think, in military history. 
you know, in the industry, we kind of thought it would never actually happen. You know, <laughs> people have been chasing that for, oh God, a decade plus. So yeah. when they actually made a decision and actually picked one, it was kind of like, you know, a little bit of a shock. Yeah. Um, you know, as soon as they figure out a caliber, we'll really be shocked. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a good platform based off the P320. Um, another platform I've, you know, seen since its infancy coming into the days. Um uh, from CAD cam till it hit the shelf. So it's a platform very near and dear to my heart. Uh, SIG uh, used com- uh, a competitive shooting team to help kind of beta test a lot of things that went into that because they figured um, no, really no one puts more ha- rounds down range uh, under stress, under pressure, on the clock with you know accuracy requirements like their competitive team. So a lot of the things we tested in that program you see you know ending up on this platform including the extended magazines with the the larger base pads some slight modifications to the controls to make them a little easier to manipulate especially with gloves on Mm -hmm. um yeah i know it's been a little controversial uh when they went away from the 1911 to the m9 you know it was the worst decision the military ever made if you ask some people going away from the m9 to the m17 is the worst decision the military's ever made so you can't make everybody happy but i I again, it's it's near and dear to my heart. I think it's a fine little platform. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, this this particular gun. So this is one of my personal guns, and and this is one of the actual surplus ones that went out and came back. Um, and so, as as Alan mentioned, you know, they they sent uh, a handful of thousand. We don't know exactly how many uh, to the military. Um, this the the pale of the light is something that I've added. That's military contract, hard to get for those. But but so the guns were issued like this um, in 2017. And, you've, you know, they've got all Coyote Tan controls and everything on it. And someone in their infinite wisdom in the military decided that they wanted to go with black controls. Uh, and it was determined at SIG that it was more cost effective to bring the guns back in and issue the military all brand new guns with black controls instead of bringing them in and swapping the parts out or sending parts to the military armorers and having them swap them. Um, so that's how y- we've got essentially brand new in terms of a timeline uh, military firearms that have been surplused and put onto the civilian market. And so I, I ran a FOIA request on this gun, uh, and it went to the 3rd Cavalry Regiment uh, at Fort Hood. They got it in January of 2018, um, and then they came back to SIG in June of 2019. Um, and so in researching the particular uh, company and troop that had this gun, um, there is a very high likelihood that this piece actually did go over to Afghanistan based on the time frame for the for that unit's deployment. Um, but so you can find these guns on gunbroker.com. Um, the supply is starting to dry up a little bit. You know, the bidding's getting a, a, a little stronger on that. But you can find these guns and, and SIG also has you know the commemorative models mm-hmm. that you can find of this gun uh on there and, and then uh so they've got you know it's the 320 m17 yep. and you can find those on there as well it's you know it's essentially the same concept and platform just not actual surplus guns right. um so you can kind of take the the mcx approach if you will to to this sig as well yeah, one thing sig has always been really good about um when they sell their military-esque models um they're pretty much the same platform. Mm-hmm. The, the 226 Navy is the same gun they serialize and send off to NASGW, um, or Surface Warfare Group, sorry, not the trade show. Um, <laughs> the 320 M17s, um, with the exception of a couple of engravings here and there, are pretty much the exact same platform. So if you're really looking for that mil-spec type firearm, but maybe don't want to pay the, the price for a surplus, getting into a 320 M17, I mean, it's 
it's pretty much the same thing. You're yep. not you're not buying a Ford Taurus with a racing stripe and thinking you bought a NASCAR. <laughs> you're getting the actual NASCAR. Uh, this is one of those weird items that, because of the nature of it, the the, the used market really outpaces the new market on price. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get into a 320 M17 for you know probably eleven twelve hundred dollars at an auction. Um, these right now are running in that thirty five hundred dollar range for the proper surplus, yep. um, and certainly the ones that bring more, the ones that have that provenance like you've established. You know who right. had it, where they were deployed, what action it might have seen, or at least what areas it might have seen. So, so yeah. a, a kind of dummy question on Sig, the naming convention of M seventeen P three twenty Watt. M and P. Well, so M is the uh, government designation. It's the, okay. essentially the Model 17. Technically, it was the M1911, the model of 1911. Um, they kind of changed it to a more numerical version, starting really with probably the M1 Grand and yeah. Carbine. Yeah. So everything's devolved off of that. You have, um, you know, you have the M16, the M4. Um, so Sig uh, P228 platform, when it's in the hands of naval aviators, is the M18. Okay. Um, or I guess that, technically that's the Mark 18 because it's military, the MK 18. And then the 226 Navy is the MK or Mark 25. Uh, so that's really just the military designation for it. The P model, that goes back to SIG's naming convention. Their, their first yeah. handgun was the P220. So everything with their metal frame and hammer built off a P200 platform. So P220, 226, 229. Uh, when they made the move to polymer and striker fire, they decided that it was enough of a shift that it justified basically a new naming convention. So they went right back to where they started. They started with the P220. Polymer was now the P320. Um, they went, you know, SIG is always kind of hit or miss. Sometimes they're very good about their naming convention. P226, 228, 229, 227. And then you'll, you know, you go from the P320 to the P365. Why? Because you carry it every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Still makes more sense than Glock nomenclature. <laughs> you mean the 40 that's a 22 and the 22 that's a 40? Yeah, I know. Yeah, now you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously we've got really cool, you know, military surplus and, and military-esque firearms that, that we can find on Gunbroker. But, of course, Gunbroker sells a little bit of everything. So let's let's transition and talk about some of the really interesting things that uh, have closed, auctions that have closed yep. within the past week from yep. recording on Gunbroker.com. What's some what's some cool stuff that people have just won, won their auctions on? What's really cool about Gunbroker is we're not impacted by you know those trendy things of supply chain or inventory issues and if your company stops making your favorite product we still probably have in fact we're probably the only place that has some of these things so uh, you can find anything and don't let the gun broker part fool you i mean we cover everything from archery to hunting camping fishing knives um, collectibles you you got it on there but um, what's always fun is every day we kind of take a look and see what's sold in the past 24 hours and we kind of have our list of oddities that always pops up and um, the other day, one that just you know absolutely sung to me popped up. There was a uh, 1929 model of 1911 of Colt. So 1929 is the first year that they did that in 38 Super. Mm-hmm. And the 38 Super, I'm an old competitive shooter, so for me the 38 Super that's that that's home. That is that is a sweet spot round. Um, you know, back in the day, it was it was the first of the big you know armor penetrating you know bulletproof vest killer bullets. But uh, now it's just a great way to make power factor in your semi-auto. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this first gen, um, you know. Provenance established serialized uh, 1929 gun went for twenty five thousand. Wow, which that's awesome. The 1911s, it you know I know you know we're going to talk about it down the road a little bit, but just the variety of platforms you can get into those for eight hundred up to 
pushing six figures depending on the model, mm-hmm. um, when it was made, who made it. You know, the especially some of the wartime ones where oh, the, yeah. you get the really wild manufacturers and they're like Singer sewing machine. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this was this was a fun one. We uh, we see some kind of unusual ones pop in sometimes. So that was a that was kind of a cool auction to keep an eye on. That's very cool. Yeah, and you know, and there's there's a lot of things that make that particular gun collectible you know part of it is the 38 super caliber um and you know and with me being a collector in my background so like you know i i lock i lock in i'm like okay so not only is it 38 super that's that's a a a new chambering for this gun you know but it's so it's the first year that they're doing it right you know and that's that's really special you know you get guys that that hone in on something like that like yeah you know they made you know who knows tens of thousands of guns in 38 super you can still get them in 38 super um, but but to have one, you know, from 29 that was the first year of manufacture for that caliber to guys that collect in that specific niche, that's why that gun, you know, goes for so much more. Um, and, and that's what's great about gun brokers. That, that guy probably would have never found that gun any other way, you know, and they just, they you know, the collector world has really come together. It's been both a blessing and a curse <laughs> for us. You know, we're, we're connected. We can find everything. But now we have to pay actual fair market value for things. Uh, you know, you, you still you still find the occasional deal, don't? Well, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So you you talked about Logan. You talked about looking up the history of this M17. Mm-hmm. How does a typical person in the wild do that? Yeah. So uh, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act with the government, um, there is an email address that is exceptionally long and ridiculous because it's government. So I, I couldn't even begin to rattle it off to you. But um, you email them and say, you know, I'm looking for the information on, you know, SIG M17 caliber 9 millimeter serial number, yada, 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 looking for any records that you have. Um, and then as a formality, you know, cause there may be costs associated with stuff you say, and I'm willing to pay up to X amount of money for the research. Uh, I've yet to encounter anyone who's actually had to pay for it. Um, and then it's a waiting game. It, it depends on how many people are, you know, in the hopper ahead of you, uh, also asking about their guns. Um, and thankfully, so I bought this right after they came out onto the market. And so I had, uh, there, there weren't many FOIA requests going in on them at the time. And so I had my answer back, I think within two weeks. Um, but uh, I know some guys, it, you know, it's taken a few months uh, for them to get their answers, but, um, but they'll get back to you one way or the other, um, whether they have information on the guns or if they don't. And it's, it's hit and miss and it really only works with newer stuff. Um, you know, we're lucky because these guns were only in, in service 17 to 19 that they have the records for them. You know, if you're going to try to go and, you know, you've got granddad's 1911 from World War II, yeah. unless it was still in the military, like in the 70s and 80s, I think is as far back as yeah. the FOIA stuff goes, you're not going to find anything on it. You know, like, for example, I've got for another one of the things we're doing, I've got uh, a 1911 that was made in 1919, so it just missed World War One, um, but was, you know, for sure in service in World War Two. was rebuilt at Augusta Arsenal in the 50s and then surplused. Um, I tried a FOIA on it just on the off chance, but of course, because, you know, th- those guns, the reason they were overhauled at Augusta Arsenal is because they were going to be surplused in the 50s, um, and so I knew it was a long shot, you know, but, and of course, they said, we have no record on that gun, so it, it is hit and miss. You can't, you know, don't, I don't want anyone thinking like, oh, I'm just going to, anything that's Millsurp, I'm just going to FOIA it, you know. It, it, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It's really only working that way with the newer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it has to be legit 
surplus. You know, you're not going to be able to, to buy one of the SIG M17 commemoratives and think yeah. you're going to get a FOIA <laughs> hit off of it, you know. Um, if you want to pay for that data, I will send it to you in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We'll give out that special email address later. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a really great point to make because SIG does have a very robust commemorative program. So, yes. um, really, if you're a unit deploying or coming back or having any sort of a event at all, SIG's very happy to make special editions just for your unit, you know, your logo, your model, whatever you might want on it. So there's a really large market of those guns out there, and, and that can be somewhat confusing sometimes. Can we just rewind all the way back to what surplus means? Because you kind of brought up a good point about them taking it to an armory with the intention of surplusing. Mm -hmm. So surplusing, it sounds like there's kind of two main reasons. Either one, they change the standard model for deployment, and they say, okay, this is the old one. And then two would be it's like shot out and <clears throat> and used up. Uh, is there another reason why something could be surplused? Is there like we bought too many of them or anything like that? Or a surplus always mean either we decided we don't like it or we've used you know all of its life out of life expectancy out of service length. Yeah, that's a great question, and it it, it, it definitely goes both of those ways. And and just because something gets surplused doesn't mean it becomes available either, right? Mm -hmm. um, tens of thousands of M16s have been surplused in in the last couple decades, and they end up going, and they literally are crushing them. Mm -hmm. um, I have pieces uh, <laughs> of M16A1 receivers at home that are just chunks that went through choppers and, and, and got tore up. So it's, you know, why does the government get rid of anything? Who really knows, right? You know, right. There, there's no logic to it. But a lot of it is, you know, they're switching platforms or things are shot out. You know, like, for example, with the 1911s that were getting surplused um, in the 50s, the particular gun that I had was an M1911, not an M1911A1. So it was the previous mm -hmm. generation of that gun. And so since we'd gone through the buildup in World War II, you know, there were all these A1s uh, that they had. And so they were uh, divesting themselves of the earlier M1911 models. So it, it just, there's a lot of different reasons the government gets rid of things. Sometimes it makes sense. Most of the time it doesn't. Mm. Well, so where do they usually go after the the army has released them that's once a, they're in surplus? That's a great question. Um, sometimes they get sold through government programs. Uh, the Civilian Marksmanship Program, the CMP, uh, they do a lot of stuff with M1 Garands. They have done things in the past with M1903 bolt actions. Um, they are currently doing something with M1911s and M1911A1s. Mm -hmm. um, in the past three years, they've been doing stuff on those. Um, so there's and M1 carbines, they've had a few and, of those and M1 carbines. Yep. Yeah, I, I would so. say one of the uh, other big sources we see for surplus firearms are um, arms that we've sent to our NATO friends. Uh, Korea is a yep. big surplus, Egypt, and then we'll see them back eventually. They come back. Um, the M1 Garand market was really starting to dry up a few years ago, and we ended up getting a shipment of um, surplus Garands back from, I believe, South Korea, and the market just went absolutely nuts for that. Yep. And so if you're looking for any of that stuff, you know, any of that surplus stuff, gunbroker.com is, is the perfect place to go for it. Yep. Um, so, guys, thanks for, for sitting in on, on this inaugural episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. Appreciate you guys sitting around the table with us. Appreciate all of you tuning in and checking out the show. Um, so thanks for joining us, and stay tuned. We'll see you on the next episode of the No Low Ballers podcast.